0: We are powerful creators. This week on Race Capital, we interview Nastasia Swift, an artist out of Virginia with a new piece titled, Canaan, When I Read Your Letters, I Feel Your Voice. Her piece is up this month, Fridays and Saturdays from 12 to 4 every weekend in the month of June. Through the Can Foundation, she's also able to bring programming, including something really special this Saturday with yours truly. I don't know how long you've listened to Race Capital, but Prior to that historic uprising of 2020, one of our favorite things to do was to bring on Black artists to talk about place, space, and the time of now, and what stories we have to amplify. I'm so excited to bring a little bit of that back. And remember, just because we're not talking about policing and politicians outright, this is still a story of liberation, abolition, and community support i'm so excited for canaan when i read your letters i feel your voice that is up now in hampton at 101 king's way hampton virginia it's at an old courthouse which again is why i'm so excited for you to hear more about this interview because of the place of how nostalgia transforms the space and how this will impact our time on this earth after hearing One or two chapters in her and her brother's story. And thanks for listening with me, Chelsea Higgs-Wise, right here on Race Capital. This week on Race Capital, we're really excited to have Nastasia Swift here on the show. Um, Artist out of Virginia. And she's here to tell us about an exciting piece that is coming up right now, this month, and it's available um, on the weekends. We're going to hear more about it right now. Nastasia. thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, So feel free to introduce yourself to the listeners and where people may have seen your work.
1: Yeah, so my name, uh, Nastasia Swift, I consider myself to be a sculptural fiber artist. um, And that just means I work Three dimensionally with fiber materials, normally um, wool. I like the way sculptural fiber artist sounds and that it kind of like tackles or becomes a part of fine art and like the craft world, which are often very like divided. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I get to like have my foot in both. But yeah, I've been showing work in both Hampton Roads and Richmond kind of since graduating Virginia Commonwealth University. So I feel like if you hadn't spotted me at 1708, you may have seen me somewhere down in the 7-5. Um, when did you graduate from VCU? Spring 2015. Okay. Feels like forever ago, but...
0: <laughs> Not to mention it's been a long few years.
1: Right. Well, it's been a long one year. So everything before 2020 feels like it happened forever ago.
0: Truly, truly. Um, so just to name uh, a few pieces of your work, what what stands out to you What's some of your favorite things that you've put out that people have really received?
1: Well, the first thing that always comes to mind, um, which, you know, some of the Richmond listeners might be familiar with, it was my remembering her homecoming um, performance that happened in 2018. Um, it was a mobile outdoor performance. So we started um, over in Manchester and did like a three and a half mile walk. Partially through the uh, Trail of Enslaved Africans, but then we landed in Jackson Ward and kind of had this celebratory um, concluding performance that happened there. But it was the first collaborative, well, the first collaborative project that I kind of directed mm-hmm. um, and it, it just, it challenged and it brought out a, a certain art side of me that I hadn't seen or had to put forth. But it's been one of the most powerful things that I've been a part of and curated in. Um, so that comes to mind. Um, I think my pink lady I made a couple months ago. Um, passage when mama lets my braids fall down my back. I feel like I feel like that piece Loki got a lot more people look in this direction, <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> there's been a there's been a flux of like either conversation or, or Instagram interaction since that piece. So it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I see y'all were feeling that one, but yeah, those are the two that, that come to mind immediately. Well,
0: um, I, w- I will tell you that is the 2018 March. That is the piece that really sticks out in my mind of when I think of you, when I am referencing you, and, and talking about that enrichment, particularly that stands out for a lot of people. And I and I cannot believe that happened three years ago when you said that was
1: 2018. Oh yeah, it's wild. I'm like, man, <laughs> I can't believe it either. Um, so.
0: Your latest piece Kanan when I read your letter I feel your voice is out right now and you know the first thing I really want to ask you is what led you to create this piece?
1: So Kanan is my younger brother um we are 13 months apart so my mom was on it <laughs> it was, you know I guess baby producing time she played no games um but yeah, his baby brother thinks he's the older brother. Um, he has currently been incarcerated for the past almost five years, so like maybe four and a half. Um, and I guess in terms of what brought this piece to me, and you know, obviously a major part of that is is the situation that he's going through, but um, also our family and support of him. I, I knew that however the situation made it into my practice, it needed to be done with, with love and intention. Um, and I just wasn't sure of what that looked like. And it's funny, when I told my brother I wanted to do this project that involved this piece of the story, because I feel like we all try to reiterate that this isn't, you know, this doesn't define Canaan. It's just a very small part of the puzzle, it just also happens to be one of the most difficult parts of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, But I told Mm -hmm. him, I was like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing this thing, you know, it's about, it's about you, but it's also very personal in terms of like, what's going on? Like, how do you feel about that? And he was just like, man, just don't paint me in no handcuffs. (laughs) And I was just like, Kanan, first of all, I would never, like that image isn't even one that I want to put into the universe. Mm-hmm. So like, which is it, it thinking about that, it kind of makes me laugh because the the way that, the picture I chose to mimic in the portrait is one where Kanan, originally he was holding his son. I cropped him out because it was just about, it, it was just Kanan. But the pose, to see everyone pick up on the pose, and my mom, when she saw it, she was like, that's how Kanan stands. Like my my brother is very sure of himself. (laughs) You know, he loves to dress. So the way he stands with his foot out and his posture in that photo, looking at that and thinking about what he told me not to do, it's like they're polar opposites. Mm. And it's like, don't depict me in such a way that encompasses a negative light but i feel like what that portrait does in the current piece is encompass him in his true light which is like that cool suave dude who like (laughs) knows he looks good Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but and and then to backtrack um last year sometime in the spring i had had this dream originally it was in wool i was like i see all these needle felted faces which is normally how i work um that come together to make walls, and the walls make the dimensions of the space of his cell. And I was like, I see myself sitting in that with this single bulb light, reading his letters, and other people are listening, and then other people get to come in and read letters from incarcerated loved ones as well. That was the original vision. And I put it kind of on the back burner, or like tucked it in a pocket, because it's just like, oh, you know, that, for one, I knew that wasn't a piece I wanted to do just anywhere. Um, and I wanted to make sure that it was going to be birthed with people who would like understand and love and support the concept from its inception and not just support it because I was doing it. And this is obviously like a really long answer to your question, but <laughs> Keep it
0: going. this is a great answer. It's stories. Um, we
1: love stories. But, you know, then I, I meet Asa Jackson who's one of the directors of the can. They tell me about this residency. I meet everyone else. I'm kind of now um, involved as an artist, first patron artist in residence. And I remember telling the other director, Hampton Boyer, I was like, you know, I had this dream a couple months ago because we're loosely talking about our solos but like no one's kind of like confirming anything. It's just like, hey, do you kind of like know what you think you might do for your solo? And I was like, well, I had this dream a couple months ago and I wasn't sure how it was going to happen or where I wanted to do it. But at this point I'm getting to know everybody and we're all kind of feeling like this big art family. And I'm like the new cousin that came into town, but everyone makes me feel like I've always been in town. Um, and I was like, this feels like a project that should happen with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it was cool because that conversation happened just after Hampton and I kind of like had this breakthrough because his brother prior to passing was also incarcerated. So it was like, that was the way we almost like connected. Um, And like the walls came down. So being able to tell him that was like, this is the solo I think I want to have. Having those conversations with him is what reassured me that this was the space that this piece needed to come out of. In that moment, I knew if anybody understood the work, it was going to be him. So in January, when I started sketching and thinking about things, I kept sketching and scratching out and sketching and scratching out. And something in me kept saying, this piece isn't supposed to be made out of wool. And I didn't know why, but I was also like, okay, well, it's not wool. What is it? (laughs) Because that's the way that I work. And I just kept drawing everything but wool. I was drawing like um, industrial materials. And I was like, well, am I going to paint again? I haven't painted in years, but I was like, is this supposed to be a painting? Maybe in a couple months, I'll be able to understand why paint kept popping into my psyche. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a connection between that and how I was understanding it with my brother, but I kind of just like accepted that this piece wasn't supposed to be of material that I was familiar with, I had to, I had to step outside of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. which I feel like is like a metaphor for the project itself, because a lot of this was me stepping out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, being comfortable making this project about that was not an easy task. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I feel like, but th- there was something about once Kanan's portrait was done, because I did all the portraits first, and then I built out the larger quilt. But once his portrait was done and he was like six foot three in fabric on the wall, it was like Kanan's in the room. And that I feel like that was what made me mm-hmm. feel like it was okay to keep going with the project mm-hmm. um, because it felt good to have him present in the space. And I remember when I put it on the wall, Mahari had texted me. She was like, yo, it feels like your brother's in here, <laughs> which felt really good because like, and, and even... The opening night I stood in the blanket because everyone wanted to take pictures and my dad was like I haven't had a picture with you and your brother for a while let me take a picture of y'all so to say y'all as if he's actually in the space it's like he's it he's here <laughs> and I feel like it, it it almost made me feel like comfortable like yeah it just made me feel comfortable to like okay you can't stop here because now Kanan's here and you got to finish it
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well, I'm a big crybaby, so that oh
1: gosh, listen. I've been crying all weekend.
0: <laughs> your daddy talking about the picture of y'all really—that's a—that's that's that's really wonderful to hear that this type of manifestation in art that has come so intentionally can bring out that type of reaction with your loved ones that love him just as much as you do. You you talk about the process of this and feeling like him being there and in the room made you so much more comfortable. What were some of the things that were uncomfortable that you kind of had to push through and, and that
1: maybe you're glad that you did. Right. Like we're. Yeah. So prior to this project, I'd say that 98% of the people that know of Nastasia did not know that her brother was incarcerated. I think. a a big part of why that what like people would ask me oh how's your brother even if they aren't already known Kanan like how's your brother Mm. I'd come up with something or I just would be like oh he's good and then I'd go past it so I didn't have to lie but there were times where I was like you know he's in Boston with his son Mm. you know I just I didn't want to get into all of that because I knew what it was going to do emotionally but I also I feel like this interesting sense of protection Mm. I didn't want to give other people the opportunity to judge him off something they they thought they understood based off of like one line of an action. Right. Um, So it was just easy to not go down that path. What was difficult was like, okay, you decided to make this work. You're making this work. You're going to show this work, which also means now you're kind of telling the world. (laughs) That's what it felt like. It's like you went from not telling anybody to not telling everybody that you know
0: (laughs) such an artist.
1: Right. (laughs) And yeah. And and you know, and I wasn't the only person who felt that way. My mom told me a couple weeks ago when I showed her the video of the video that I just posted where it was like, once I got to see the blanket in the frame at the welder's shop, um, I had video chatted her and she her Feel like, I pick up on people's energy all the time, and something about her energy, what she was saying didn't match the energy she was giving off. Mm. Um, but I had I was around people video chats on speaker, so I didn't like dig into it. But mm. when I saw her later, I was like, You looked a little emotional. And she was like, Yeah, you know, you showed me the picture. You know, I saw the two little kids, and I was like, Wow, those are my babies. Um, And then, I don't remember what was said next, but she was like, I wasn't sure how I felt about your project up until this moment. Um, Because she was like, you know, this is a very personal part of our story, and now we're kind of like putting it on front street for other people to see and judge. And you want to talk about feeling protective. Mama Cub feels or mama bear feels the ultimate level of protection. Even up until my opening, there were she was just like, I hope don't nobody come in there saying anything about my son. And it was like I, I felt that too. And I we just I was like, you know, I think that sharing what I what I've realized, and I guess what's helped me feel comfortable to continue with putting the work out is is realizing that the the story isn't mine alone. And of course I know that based off of the conversation I had with Hampton and you can see it around you. Um, When we were talking earlier, she said something about, you know, my story is my story and I don't necessarily, she made it this reference to like a library and books and I was like, well, mom, isn't aren't all the books in the library? Somebody's story that they chose to to put, publish and put out for other people to read and then realize that that story feels wildly familiar. <laughs> and she was like, I guess I see what you did there. <laughs> but yeah, it's been, it's, I think I just had to realize that, you know, people are going to have their opinions and judge, but they, that work isn't for those people. Um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my brother <laughs> feels the opposite. You know, he's, he, not to say that there's, he's he's proud or anything, but I think that he's more comfortable with the work being out there than we were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just like, it is what it is. Like, you know, if you're gonna share it, share it and be and be authentic. Like when we were talking about the property box, that's a part of the show. So there's three smaller pieces in conjunction with the larger piece. And one of the smaller pieces has this silk quilt that holds the box from the Virginia Beach jail that got shipped home before he, or as he was going to prison. Um, So it has all of his letters that he wrote for himself and things we sent him that didn't go with him, that came home. And I had asked him if I could put that in the show. And what I realized when I was making all these smaller blankets, it's like I'm the blanket in some way like I'm the, the, his property box is sitting on this blanket that's me and it's like it's silk because it's of value and it's holding his valuable things the things that the only things that were his at the time um it's like I'm protecting them in a way and when I'd asked him you know what he wanted to be included or not be included in that box um, I told him the copy of his warrant was in there, and I was like, "Well, I don't know if I'm gonna put that in there." He was like, "No, nah, keep it a buck, like it is." <laughs> and it's just like it was like this this difference in like nervousness. Like I I, be, I feel like because he's in it and has had to, I don't want to say be cool with it, but just like acknowledge and accept where it is. For, probably for the sake of survival, there's certain things that don't rub him the wrong way. It's like for me, it's like whoa if your warrant's in there, like, is that too, like, is, is that me giving too much? And he's just like, no, it's a part of the story that you're saying you want to tell. So there were these interesting conversations where I felt like I thought I wasn't ready for something that he was like, Hey man, <laughs> mm-hmm. you in it now, go ahead and keep, keep going. Um, wow. But yeah.
0: So a, a real moment for for you all to grow and for him to be like, yeah, this is it. This is it. The title When I read your letters, I hear your voice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Tell us about the title.
1: Yeah, I... Titling is always difficult because it. I feel like sometimes a part of me wants to feel poetic (laughs) and trying to figure out what type of energy do I want to give off with the title before the work is being seen. It's always, I feel like artists are always in this mode of like, how do you title without giving too much but giving just enough <laughs> um and i feel like i i wrote down i kept writing down Kanan's name and i i kept writing down like he's it was like he's still my he's he's not a number it was like it was all of these things that were like that let you know something about incarceration yeah um and then i started thinking about his letters um and that just came out and I had wrote it down. At first I had wrote, when I read your letter, I feel your voice. But I had also like, I think I remember when I was talking to Kane about it before I came up with the title. He was like, just call it my name. <laughs> but that's just like, that's like, if you know Kane, and of course that's something he would say. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, just call mm-hmm. it after me. But I liked the idea that the title wasn't about him, but it was addressing him. Because then the work felt like it was to him and not about him, mm-hmm. um, which I think throughout the process, in terms of me communicating with him about plans and asking questions and wanting him to feel in some way like a collaborator from afar, that was important. Like I didn't want it to be. I made a show about my brother as much as it was. I made a a, a group of a body of work with and in communication with my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kept repeating it to myself. And I was like, this feels, this feels good. And mm-hmm. I just stuck with it.
0: hmm hmm Tell us more about the space and where it is.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's crazy, um, just to put everything in context, <laughs> I, when I told, the director Asa, I was talking to him and his wife Kira about the show I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want it to take place in the Cannes gallery um, which is where, you know, we're not expected but for the most part we were gonna have our solo shows kind of one after the other in the Cannes gallery. Um, But I was like, something about this needs to be, I kept thinking about Kara Walker and the show she had in New York at the sugar factory. Um, but I was like, something needs to be industrial or just like, a, not white walls. I just didn't want the piece to be in a white box with lights shining on it. Um, but I was like, are there any spaces that you guys are familiar with or have access to that are just like old empty warehouses or something. And they were like, we can figure that out. So at first they had sent me this old church that's in Newport News. And I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but then I kept looking at, and actually this was in November because Kira sent me the pictures of the church while I was on my trip for my birthday. My birthday is November 25th. So this is when I'm looking at pictures of this church. Um, And at first I wasn't sure, but then I went and kind of looked and I was like, okay, something about this feels like it has potential. Um, It was like this old Greek um, or this old Orthodox church in like downtown Newport News that hasn't been used for like two decades or something. Um, And it's just sitting there. So we went to visit it in February and it was like beautiful. And I was, I looked at Asa and I was like, I don't know what you gotta do or who you gotta talk to. (laughs) But this is where I want my show to happen. It just was like, it had, it. It wasn't industrial necessarily, but it had the not so, it wasn't clean. So it wasn't this clean, pristine church. It definitely looked like something that hadn't been used forever. And I feel like it was close to what I was going for. Just like these old dark walls that were kind of cruddy, um, but there was this really beautiful light shining from the top. And it was like, this is where the piece is supposed to sit and this light shines on it. Um, So for like a good month and a half, I was like, planning on the show happening at this church and i was like getting all excited about it um and we had to go through i mean it's owned by the city so there were all these (laughs) bureaucratic loopholes that we had to go through and it's like talking to someone who tells you then you got to talk to this person and it's like who do we really have to talk to (laughs) like how do we get to them quicker (laughs) um and we ended up Receiving like it, it, I don't remember when it was. It was like it felt like two or three months had gone by, um, and we finally had received a no, which was fine because I was like, at this point, like it's yes or no. But if you, if you, you guys got to tell us something, so we were like, cool with saying, okay, this is no longer an option. Otherwise, I'm just like sitting on the edge of my seat, thinking this could still be a possibility. Um, and in the midst of us waiting for that answer, Ham, uh, Asa and Kira were like, well, it's not the church but Hampton the city of Hampton owns this old courthouse that could still that in terms of context makes sense with your project but doesn't have the same visual that you just fell in love with So I was like okay well we can visit it <laughs> just for the sake of having a plan b but I was just like I just knew they were going to say yes to this church um, so Asa and I Asa called me one morning and he was like well there's people working on the courthouse and the door's open. So let's just like go in. <laughs> he was like, ask for forgiveness. And I was like, cool, what time? <laughs> <laughs> so he and I went at like 11 when things felt like it were calm and there wasn't a lot of activity or foot traffic at the courthouse. <laughs> and we just kind of slipped in and took a tour. And viewing the courthouse for me was important because they kept trying to describe it to me. But I wasn't, I couldn't see it visually as probably because I already had the image of the church. But um, I'm glad I visited because I kept imagining like this old, big, high ceiling Supreme Court. Something was going to be as dramatic as the church. And that courthouse was like unimpressive. (laughs) I was like, Ace, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really feeling it right now, but let's keep looking at the rest. It was like the courthouse was just like this like weird blue carpet low ceiling it just looked janky and depressing <laughs> like there was nothing i couldn't find the beauty in it anywhere but then we went into this vault that was like in two parts the there weren't walls because the walls were the it was the records room so there were these like bronze some type of metal but they were dark the way bronze um kind of it had like this bronzy feel but that's what the walls are there's just like rows and racks of storage and it reminded me of the not so clean wall that I was looking for and I I spent like a few minutes walking back and forth between both rooms and I was like I think this feels like an appropriate and really good backup plan Mm -hmm. um and I feel like I wasn't I and this was like many parts to the puzzle of this project it was like I'm cool with letting it go once we get a definite no. So I wasn't necessarily saying the courthouse is happening, forget the church. It mm-hmm. was like, all right, we know we got a backup plan that I also really like, but let's wait to see what the church says. And then Newport News said no. And I was like, Shh, they don't know what they're missing out on because this project is going to be phenomenal, but we'll just invite them to it, whatever. <laughs> so they can see. Um, and then it was like, okay, now we got to send, have a meeting with the people in Hampton, which is funny because he, Asa has a relationship loosely um, through past like art stuff with the mayor of Hampton. So he'd emailed him and he was like, I wanna talk to you about the courthouse for a potential project. And luckily, you know, he emailed back and was like, let's set up a meeting with the city manager. And I was like, okay, this feels like a lot better already than what we did with Newport News because people were not trying to hear us. Um, So I'm like thankful for that relationship. And it's funny us telling, Asa's telling them, that we had, you know, went to view the building. And the mayor looks at the city manager and Ace was like, listen, I just figured I'd ask for forgiveness. (laughs) I was like, damn, Ace, I didn't think you are going to tell them that we saw it. (laughs) Right, right. He was like, I just want y'all to know that we're really interested in this particular part of the courthouse. So like the door was open. We just walked in. We didn't touch anything. Just took pictures. (laughs) I was like, well, I guess it's not a secret anymore. But the meeting went really, like me, me and Ace left that meeting feeling like, the courthouse was going to happen. They just right. had to, there were things they had to check on. They had to like, it'd go through city council. Mm-hmm. We were like, well, the city manager and the mayor feel really good about it. And they're right. talking about it as if they wanted it to happen. And then we got the yes. And it was like, I remember Ace ran upstairs and was like, yo, it's happening. Yeah. Like They don't even know what's about to happen, but it's happening. <laughs> like, they don't know what they just said yes to.
0: <laughs> but I mean, really though, to go from God's house to the courthouse...
1: Right? It's like <laughs> whoa. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> talk,
0: right. About, talk about a <laughs> hmm Mm-hmm. You're tuned in to Race Capital with me, Chelsea Hicks Wise on W R I R L P ninety seven point three FM Richmond Independent Radio. I'm talking with Nastasia Swift, an artist that has an incredible piece out of Hampton, Virginia. Stay tuned to hear more about how to see it and where else to follow Nastasia. Right here on Race Capital.
1: And a former a former courthouse that is still attached to the Hampton Correctional Facility that is functioning. Like the Asa's friend is at the Hampton jail that's attached to the courthouse that has the work. They have this weird orange tunnel that they would walk people from the jail to the courthouse when they had hearings and then walk them back. So of course the tunnel isn't used because the courthouse isn't in use, but that's still functioning. And it's like heavy layer on heavy layer on uncomfortable Mm -hmm. layer.
0: And like you said, uncomfortable layer. So now this piece that you've created that brought up so many uncomfortable emotions for yourself as visitors come to really experience your piece, it will be the entire space and place that really brings this, this moment of confrontation and uncomfortable feeling that is going to be brought up and should be brought up when having these conversations. Um so tell people exactly where it is right now because I think after this description they're going to be really interested in how in the world did they find this space and your work.
1: Yeah. Um, so the it's called multiple different names, but the easiest is the address, which is 101 Kingsway, Hampton, Virginia. Um, and it's like right kind of down the street from City Hall, but um yeah, it I don't I don't I wouldn't type in the courthouse as a name to find the address. I just we've been like kind of promoting the address because it's either called like Elizabeth City County Courthouse, which is the official name of it, but it's also called like old Hampton Circuit Courthouse. I saw something that was like historic Hampton Courthouse. Me and Ace were uncomfortable about the use of the name word historic. I was like historic to who? <laughs> so right. I was like, could we not use that word? <laughs>
0: right
1: describing it. But 101 Kingsway, Hampton, mm-hmm. Virginia is the address.
0: 101 Kingsway, Hampton, Virginia. You've mentioned so much about ASA and the Can Foundation. Can you say a little bit more about the foundation and who they are, what they do, really quickly?
1: Yeah. So um, ASA Jackson and Hampton Boyer are both artists who had this beautiful big dream um, five between five and seven years ago about wanting to use their separate platforms to come together to create platforms for other artists, especially those in Hampton Roads because Hampton Roads art scene is lacking and in, in, in the, the powers that be that surround it isn't, they aren't as supportive as they could be in kind of like uplifting the arts so that way artists in that area can like sustain and, and create and work in a way that a lot of other cities, larger cities can. Um, they wanted to figure out how, what they could do, <laughs> these two young black guys to make that happen, who've done enough. They just needed, you know, some other kind of support. And, you know, they had this residency was going to take place in Norfolk, Nor- Norfolk kind of had shut them down, but also like low-key stole their idea <laughs> and then didn't really go with it. Like, they went with it and then it drowned. And it's like, well, damn, <laughs> Like y'all should have just let them manage it the way they would have. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was still flourish. But anyway, um...
0: The, the regular story, but continue.
1: Right, right. <laughs> and I feel like all of those things are important to like where they, where the can is now. Right. Um, Cause it also was going to happen in Hampton. Um, but with another larger organization, and I don't know all the details of how that ha- didn't happen, but somebody pulled out and then that kind of also fell flat. So it's just like them trying to like create these doors, but someone kept closing the door in front of it. <laughs> Um, and you know, at this point, they had a gallery in Norfolk called 670 Gallery, but they wanted to do an artist residency and have like some type of larger support so artists could have a stipend and a show and access to collectors and like kind of have this like educational thing that was as monumentous as any other residency anywhere else. Um, and then they ended up going the private route and Luckily, Asa was in L.A. and met someone. I think they were staying at an Airbnb in one of her houses and started talking and showing work. And she was like, I want to support you guys. And then you arrive here where she buys them this building in Newport News. And the can has a a physical space. So like hearing them tell that story and like all of the story leading up to that, it's like, wow, (laughs) because it's like now we're all sitting and making work in this building um, so it's the Can, uh, the Contemporary Arts Network headquarters. Um, they have a 501, was it 501C3? I don't remember the makeup of that. Yeah, um, but that's the Can Foundation. So the Can Foundation is what houses our artist and residence program. Um, Cause that's more of the educational side of what they wanted to do. And then the Contemporary Arts Network is like the boutique and the workshops. Um, and in, like festival like music festivals and all those things. So wanting to be able to figure out how to like maximize their reach in the arts, having the two separate entities entities into that making the most sense. Um, but yeah, so at the can building, the upstairs has the it's the space where the five first patron artists and residents, including myself, have a space to work. Downstairs there's a daily bread boutique. There's the Eleanor and Hobbs gallery, which is kind of like the more. I don't want to say blue chip, but it's more of the traditional space that was kind of designated to the first page for an artist to show work. And then there's a smaller gallery, 670, where they've had um, kind of rolling exhibitions for anyone to come and show work. So different group exhibitions, people can apply to do a solo. And then there's commonality, which is the music performative space. You're probably thinking this building is like a mansion. It is pretty big, (laughs) but the way they've sectioned it off. So like there's the stage and floor space that's crazily big enough to house performances. And there's like a little small music studio that they'll rent out so um, music artists can come and make work. So it was like this thing that allows artists from level one to level 100 to have a space. So whether you feel like you're top tier artist or if you're just getting started, you're still welcome into this space and you can fit in in one way, shape or form. And I think that was really important to them to not feel like Because especially in Hampton Roads, there aren't very many tiers. Like, it's like, there's museums and then there's coffee shops. And it's like, well, where does everyone else fall in? Because the reality is not everybody's jumping to the museum spot. Um, And if they do, it's not happening at a a quick pace. But it's also like, not not everyone wants their work in a coffee shop. Like, that's a lane for someone who wants that. You know what I mean? So it's like, where, where does everyone else fall in that isn't on A or B? And I think that they've done like a phenomenal job in like creating a space that adds more layers and more tiers for more access.
0: The Contemporary Arts Network, and you can find them at thecontemporaryartsnetwork.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they sound like a phenomenal 501c3 that's really put some intentionality in supporting uh, artists, which is amazing to see right here in the Commonwealth. Um Today is Wednesday, but your show opened this past weekend.
1: How was the show opening? The show opening, I felt like was everything that I dreamed of and more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't I kept telling people like Asa and Hampton all week. I was like realistically I don't know how many people come, but in my dreams like a lot of people come this weekend. <laughs> and it You know, when it was time for me to do the letter reading, I remember like looking around to address everyone, and I was like, "Damn, there's a lot of people in here," and we had got a lot of people in that space. (laughs) Yeah, and I was just, I was overwhelmed that so many people were interested in coming to share that moment and to experience the work and like get to know Canaan because that's in a major way what it was, and it just felt really good to like be okay with unleashing all of that and like Mm. sharing. I feel like everyone gave their ear and their attention and just listened and laughed Mm. and cried. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just like a really heavy moment, but it also felt very much needed. and, And the other two participants that read letters after me, Um, one in particular, she had told me that she didn't realize that was what she needed. Mm. And she had was, was just so thankful that she had the space to like, not just read her dad's letter, but share that experience with other people. And I think I understood that because I was keeping it to myself for the most part. It's like, unless you were super, super close with me, you weren't getting that part of me. And I allowed myself to give that part of me. And I, when I, in the midst of me hugging and crying, Kira, I was like, I feel like I was so brave for Kanan. Hmm. Shit, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, I was proud of myself for being so brave. And and I was proud that I had cur- curated a space that allowed others to be brave and, and share things they may not have always shared.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, you have also curated and and put together some intentional programming so people can come and Mm -hmm. experience the space. Talk a little bit about what you have coming up.
1: Yeah. So um, this Saturday, um, this, absolutely amazing spirit (laughs) is going to come and facilitate (laughs) a community conversation, i.e. you, Chelsea. Um, and, and, And before I get into the dates and times, just to, like, give some context, in planning the show and the work months ago, programming felt like it needed to be a part of it, but also I didn't want programming to be something that just brought people to come see the work again, um, I wanted it to be something that felt like it it was going to serve a purpose that the work could only serve so in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like people got to come and experience and hear my story or hear my brother's words and through the performance, either got to share or hear someone else's story, but I wanted there to be a way for... I wanted there to be other ways that people could come and participate or engage or converse in this like overarching conversation um, outside of the gallery, the, the gallery space, of course, because quote it's not a gallery, but that's where the work is being housed. Um, so, thinking through like panel discussions, or I thought I would, like youth workshops, or like these different things that would allow my, the the topics and the the show to extend into a different environment with other people was important. Um, And I just, I knew it was because that it wasn't me and Canaan's story alone or me and my family's story alone. I wanted there to be a space for other people and families and stories to be shared and understood. Um, And what's exciting for me about this Saturday's community conversation is that at first I thought it was gonna be a panel discussion and something about that just felt like unnecessary. (laughs) Like I just, I kept telling myself I wasn't, I was first I was like, well, who do I reach out to? And then I was like, well, you know, normally these panel discussions are filled with people that have studied something or have these credentials on paper that we, are conditioned to believe have some type of like elite elitist you know (laughs) tiering I was just like I don't necessarily care to only have a table of people that have like studied criminalization in the U.S. not to say that their their input isn't valid but I was just like you know where is there room for someone like my dad to to talk or someone like my sister or someone like Hampton so I felt like the more and more I kept trying to think about who would be a part of it, I was just like, I don't even want a panel. I just want like a big circle, people sitting or standing and they get to just share and they don't feel intimidated by credentials of anyone. It's like someone's living this, someone's living something that you studied and because mm-hmm. of that, they can speak on it and share and they can speak with you, but like their, their input is just, just, about, just as valid. And that was important and kind of led me to like, okay, there are no tears there's not, there's not one mic. There's no mic. There's just people talking. <laughs> people talking and sharing and listening and understanding. Getting to that point was really exciting. So I was like, okay, this program, thinking through it in this way feels like the most purposeful. And I feel like I use the word intentional a lot, but I feel like it's because I tried to my best to lead with intention. Do I always do it? I don't know, but I try my best to at least understand that that's important so I can try to lead with it. And I wanted the program to feel intentional. And I feel like what's to come this Saturday feels like it's going to be that.
0: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And I am really excited to be part of this Saturday, the Feel Your Voice community conversation, a space for collective reflection and exchange, which you just really laid out that this will be an open space to talk. And this is an opportunity for folks to have this collective reflection. And it means a lot that I will say as someone that sits on a lot of panels to not (laughs) do another panel. Yeah. Still call me if you want me to do a panel, but (laughs) Um, uh, I I am really excited about uh, this Saturday, June 12th at 4 PM at 101 Kingsway, Hampton, Virginia. This is when this conversation will be happening. Um, But that's just one program that's happening. You have some other things coming up. And unfortunately, this will not be up forever. Um, So also let people know um, the urgency behind making sure they get down to see the exhibit.
1: Yeah. So outside of the community conversation this Saturday, the following Saturday, which is Juneteenth, The Contemporary Arts Network is um, having their Juneteenth block party, which will encompass the Buy black pop-up, which they did last summer, um, but as a part of that pop-up, one of the organizations that I worked with to do the zine component of my show, which I can talk about in a moment, um, but they have agreed to have a table set up in the style of like an informational booth, but there will be an activity structured as a letter writing station. So people can come and write a letter and um, that will be sent to an incarcerated person. Um, and then they can have the, the opportunity to, if they want or are interested in um, committing to a pen pal program or figuring out ways to support this organization or other organizations like it, um, that, it that support currently and previously incarcerated people and their families. So that is June, June 19th, Um, and that will be a satellite program that will actually happen at the Contemporary Arts Network, but the show will also be open, Um, so, you know, if you're mobile, you'll be able to go back and forth and see some cool things that are happening in the city, and then the final weekend, so as you mentioned, the show will not be up forever. It will close June 26th, but on that last day, Anjali Moon, um, of Africana Film Festival will come down, and she is curating a small uh, film selection that is an extension of the work, and that will be at. I think I can say it because we're we're pretty much got the green light, and maybe this like puts it in the universe. It should be at Mill Point Park, but we haven't promoted that yet. So once we do, you can follow um, me at Nastasia Ebony or at Contemporary Arts Network, and we'll have a flyer for that soon. But it, it will be at a park in close proximity to the courthouse, and that will be the finale event. It'll be like a nice summer evening under the stars, but you'll get to like also hear stories and experiences through the narration of film that, that continue the conversation of the work. Um, and then it travels to Texas. Once it comes down, it is literally being packed up and going to Galveston, Texas, and opening July 17th. So it will not be in Virginia long. It will come back and I hope that it'll show everywhere. I've been telling everybody like, tell your favorite art director, come see me. <laughs> and it can, you know, it could be in a space again near you, but in the meantime, in Virginia for a hot minute and then in Galveston, Texas.
0: Congratulations. That Thank is, you. that is so, so huge. Um, that That is really, really exciting. So this weekend, June 12th, Juneteenth, June 26th, three
1: weekends. And Friday and Saturday, I'm sorry. Friday and Saturday of both weekends, or um, all the, the next three weekends, it's both Friday and Saturday, 12 to 4. Um, so you don't just have to come down on a Saturday. If you can't make it, um, then come down on a Friday. If you absolutely, positively, can't make it on the weekend and you're like, I'm leaving town and I really want to see it on a Thursday, you can reach out to the can and we will figure out how to like, let you do a little pop in. Um, Ooh. but Friday. Saturday.
0: Exclusive access, uh, right there. Tell them race capital sent you, um, for that Thursday, uh, sneak peek in case you can't, <laughs> um, you gotta have proof of your emergency. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lucky here. Sometimes, you know, (laughs) sometimes people ask a lot. No, but we're really excited for this piece. Um, Before I let you go, because we have just a a second left, but something that you kept bringing up with that, this was really just one part of Canaan's story. Is there anything else about him or about his life that you really want to share with the listeners to give, you know, the full book rather than this one chapter?
1: Yeah, you know, something that was very special about me reading his letters Saturday was that he either often mentioned his recipes, and then there was a letter that he wrote out a recipe. So my brother is a chef at heart. Um, he picked that up from my uncle. He spent a summer in um, somewhere in Tennessee, Dyersburg, Tennessee, and my uncle was running a restaurant, and like he came back, and came and was like, I want to cook. And he was at the um, School of the Institute in Virginia Beach and some Institute of Art that's in Virginia Beach, but they ha- they do fashion and culinary arts. And he was there for a little bit, he had stepped away. Um, he was just about to go like re-enroll at, in classes. Um, and we know that because with his all of his belongings, we found the list of things he wanted to accomplish in the new year and going back to school was one of them. But through this time, the, a, a lot of the letters that I have from Kanan have recipes. Um, and when I remember when I went to this phase where I was telling him that I was like, oh, I'm going vegan. <laughs> he would try to adjust the recipe as much as he disagreed with it. Because um, he was like, Saji, you know, you like meat, but whatever. So he was trying to give me these veggie based re- recipes, but he still finds ways to like, Exercise that creative side of him through food, which makes me really happy. And he would send a recipe and ask me to cook it, plate it the way he described, and take a picture and send it to him. So that was something that we would do. Me and my mom would cook it, take a picture, send it. He's like, oh, okay, how'd it taste? You know, so it was like that was our exchange. Um, and that's a beautiful part of him that he's figured out how to maintain. And that makes us really happy.
0: I love that so much, especially just because, you know, thinking about recipes passed down on like the handwritten note that you keep, yeah, in, right. And to have that part of your communication and you all still living through him, through that recipe and those recipes, thank you so yeah. much for sharing that.
1: He's going to have a food truck when he comes home. It's going to be Kane's Kitchen. He came up with a name. He came up with a logo. (laughs)
0: Look, we love a food truck. (laughs) Love it. I love it. Well, um, we look forward to um, hearing all of the tremendous feedback from your exhibit. And congratulations again. Tell the people one more time where they can follow you.
1: Yeah, my Instagram is at Nastasia Ebony N-A-S-T-A-S-S-J-A-E-B-O-N-Y. Um, and my website is www.NastasiaSwift.com.
0: Nastasia Swift, thank you so much for joining <laughs> Race Capital. And personally, I'm excited about June 12th. <laughs> <laughs>
1: me too. Thank you so much for having me.
0: What an incredible interview. Thank you so much again to Nastasia Swift for coming on the show. Thank you for getting vulnerable and for being brave enough to share out your story and understand how it will feed into us through your art. Thank you for being you. Thank you to your brother. And thank you to our Race Capital listeners. We'll catch you next week right here at 10 a.m. on WRIRLP. 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Raise Capital, y'all.